0: Thank you for listening to Room 9, My Daddy's Podcast. Hope you enjoy. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9. If you better yourself, you better the world. I remember driving around on i think it might have been thanksgiving looking for somewhere to eat everything was closed and i was like i don't want pity i want to remember this feeling because I, I don't want to be here again like i don't necessarily want to be around my family again and all that addiction but like i don't want to be here again and i'm responsible for getting myself here was no one but me and so i gotta you know it's up to me to to remember this feeling so i don't so i'm not driving around every thanksgiving for the, the rest of my life
1: Today's guest is Slash Coleman. This is Slash's second time on Room 9, and this episode is really to promote a laughter yoga seminar that he's doing on April 7th. If you listen to our original episode, you will hear Slash is a U.S. yoga ambassador and what an awesome concept this whole idea is. And I'm excited for you guys to listen to this episode and really just check out what he's got going on and check out this seminar. All the links will be below, all the information will be below, and obviously there's lots of information throughout this episode in my conversation with Slash. So check out all of his links down in the description. Check out where you can sign up for this webinar on April 7th, 2021 at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And I'll be talking to you guys soon. Much love. Peace. Let's get into right. it. I'm already recording. Okay, cool. I, I feel like, you know, we'll just fly into it and keep going. I got some notes here. All right. But, I mean, really, I guess this is like our second episode and really want to kind of promote your uh, your class there and everything else. So, I guess, well, let's start because when we did an episode originally, Slash, it was, when was that, July, we said? Almost a year ago, right? Yeah, okay. it was a little yeah, bit ago. So, we're, we're yeah. coming up on it. So, I mean, I guess in, in a nutshell, start with just kind of a little bit how you got in because you're, you're a laughter yogurt and laughter- Yoga instructor. That's how you say <laughs> yeah. it, and that is just. It's. I think that's like a foreign term, right? Especially in in the West. Here, nobody knows what the hell that is. So let's get into that. How you even got into it, and then we can kind of go into your class and everything else.
0: Yeah, correct. So you almost made that Freudian slip that my dad makes. He calls it laughter <laughs> yogurt, and no one in my family will do it because it's just too weird. I think they've seen videos and it just scares them away. But you know, my family also there's like like a, a half a dozen or a dozen uh, addicts in my family. And so, um, you know, that sort of intimate connection, I think just is, it's kind of scary to connect that with um,
1: happiness and laughter with addiction. Yeah. That's, they usually don't go hand in hand, at least when you get further into your deeper into your addiction, there's that much yeah. laughing going on.
0: I found laughter yoga, one of my probably darkest places, not that I haven't been in dark places before, but I think the rock bottom of my life, that's, that's when I found it. My right lung had collapsed And um, a lot of other stuff that happened in my life that just kind of weighed down on me. And when I went in the hospital, uh, when I was leaving, I had three surgeries on my lung and the doctor or the surgeon said that laughter would help my lung heal. He actually said laughter, (laughs) sneezing and coughing would help my lung heal. And um, for almost a year, I didn't want to do any of those things because it actually hurt where they had put the stitches in my lungs. And every time it would expand, Mm -hmm. it it would just hurt. So about a year later, I um, Googled laughter and I found laughter yoga and I thought, Cool, I like to tell jokes. I like to do yoga. I went to my first session with a yoga mat and I had memorized some jokes. and halfway through the session, I'm like, when are we gonna tell the jokes? And I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, <laughs> there were no jokes. there was no yoga. My yoga mat kind of sat in the corner. and uh, you know it was created by a medical doctor in 1995 who found he was getting better results from uh, from laughter, sustained laughter with his patients than he was from traditional medicine. And so his first field study included just telling jokes with his wife and a couple of friends. And when they found they couldn't get the kind of laughter they needed to sustain those health benefits, they say it's over 10 minutes of laughter, he came up with what was at the time a revolutionary idea, which was to create laughter exercises to simulate laughter that would lead to real and genuine laughter. And so he only had one exercise, he had about 10 people join him, and they repeated that exercise over and over again for five minutes of laughter, 10 minutes of laughter, 20 minutes of laughter, and then he created more exercises, and a lot more people joined him in that park, and eventually he like put his medical practice in the backseat and opened up Laughter Yoga University, and so that's how my path crossed with him when I was he- in my healing journey, not only spiritually, but also uh, physically as well, and I went to India and studied with him for about a month.
1: Yeah, well, it's such a bizarre concept to think about. Yeah. Like just, okay, we're going to sit here and pretend to laugh. I mean, it really is. And I think, you know, how many times have I brought this up to you? Like, it seems so cheesy. It seems so lame. But then you kind of hear about the benefits a little bit. And I remember reading years ago, and I don't remember, I'm always getting, my uncle has this disease. I think it's called... I'm gonna butcher it. Ankylosis spondylitis. That's it. Yeah. Is that it? Is that how you pronounce the, the it? The yeah. Norman Cousins disease, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was he he was the guy, right, who locked himself in a room, took vitamin C and watched like three stooges or something. Yeah, was he was it- a
0: journalist who was who was kind of given a death sentence, like out of the blue. He had been on a worldwide speaking tour promoting his books and his his work in journalism. And the doctors kind of gave up on him to die in the hospital. And he kind of as a a thinker and kind of being self-aware he told the doctor he said listen i want to try something really radical and i want your approval and um this in his book that he did it's uh, um Mm -hmm. that that you're talking about there's only like three pages that are really interesting which is on the laughter when he locked himself in the hotel room and the rest is just like like over my head it's really not even to do with laughter it's just about his career but so he went across the street it was in new york and he checked himself into a hotel his um friend i don't know what his friend's name was was the guy who ran the Canon camera um, uh, okay. TV show. That guy sent him a, a projector, I guess he had money, and it came into the New York hotel room, and all these reels, a Canon camera, all the Marx Brothers video, not videos, but reel-to-reel films, and he just sat in the room and watched these, and he found he would laugh a little bit, and it would give him some Sense of the pain went away for him. And he found it when he would laugh for up to 10 minutes or even an hour, that pain would go away for five to six hours. And eventually, like all his symptoms disappeared. And we went back across the street to the hospital, talked to the doctor. The doctor was dumbfounded. That's so weird. And actually, Dr. Kataria, who I studied with in um, India, who created, you know, laughter yoga, that was the book that inspired him to kind of look into laughter as kind of a treatment. And that book is called Anatomy of an Illness.
1: Okay. It's so strange to me that we these things don't get studied more and looked into more and talked about more. And I guess that we could take this whole conversation to maybe the whole pharmaceutical companies, all that shit, but yeah, th- we'll save that for another time, right? I just think it's so strange that you know stuff like this is not looked into more. And it's so weird how I, I get all the people, all of our bodies are different. And I maybe people sitting down and laughing for an hour aren't going to help them change some diseases or sicknesses that they're struggling with. But it's obviously has helped a person. This isn't made up. I I can't imagine it's a made up story that somebody fabricated. I mean, what would be the point of it? And so it's just interesting to me that we never are looking into these concepts more and trying to get them out there more. And how many, what is there like three, three or four officially, I don't know if it's licensed is the correct term, but certified, I guess would be the word uh, in laughter yoga. I mean, there's not, it's not a big thing, right? In the U.S. right now?
0: Yeah. What do you mean by three or like
1: how many how many people are like t- doing what you're doing? is oh, yeah, saying. I oh, know. No, well, there's, this, this there's what I'm trying the, to get at. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, um, when the the doctor created like these free laughter clubs where anyone could come and laugh, and you know, now there's since 1995, there's like 18,000 in India alone, okay. and there's probably it, there it's spread to over like a hundred countries, and there's. Yeah, probably close towards up to like a hundred thousand of these laughter clubs. So there's quite a there's still not a lot, but there's a number of what we call certified laughter yoga leaders and teachers out there, teaching and leading it. But a lot of people get into it not because they're they're particularly good at business or they want to start a club or they want to laugh with others. They just do are doing it for themselves. And so it, it the majority life, of people yeah. that yeah take it aren't aren't kind of kind of spreading it to others. And and the other thing is that you know in terms of yoga yoga where we do poses there's bookshelves filled with like uh, literature on yoga and the philosophy of yoga. When we talk about lap yoga, one book written by the doctor, came out last year in 2020. So like, there's not a lot even written about it. I, t- I yeah. think until that the bookshelf begins to spread, and you know that's how we kind of assimilate information and kind of spread it around, that, that it's still going to be this really kind of unheard of thing and a fringy thing. And, and it's interesting <laughs> because as an artist, I've created stuff in the past where I start out doing something that's kind of weird, and my friends and my family come, and I keep doing it long enough, and then it becomes mainstream, and then it's on PBS and NPR. Now everybody wants to come to do this thing that is at one time fringy and is now mainstream. And I I remember when I lived in Portland, Oregon in the 90s, and there was a a little bit of massage therapy out there, but not a lot. There weren't a lot of massage therapy schools. And in Virginia, Richmond, where I live, massage was still like a really scary thing. It happened in brothels and no one was getting a massage. And now it's so mainstream. This really fringy thing has become mainstream. And I think a lot of things involved in the mindfulness movement are kind of becoming more mainstream. And even Mm -hmm. I think about meditation that way and how in treatment centers... It's like the protocol now. Like you gotta meditate. So
1: yeah, and I think that comes with negatives and positives. (laughs) I think you know, there's that new age thing where I mean, I know people who are just who don't want to do anything on themselves, but claim to be new age, claim to be meditators, claim to be into yoga, and it's like it's a thing. I think that's a negative side effect of it. But you're right, everything has to transition. Everything starts at the bottom, that not known about, and it's the people who stick it out and keep going and like, no, this made it, and it's usually people, it made a difference in my life. I believe in this, so I'm going to keep sticking it out. And that's what gets you through that, that upswing or downswing of nobody's really doing it yet. So what are, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing to push this out there? Because I feel like this should be in, in treatment centers. This should be all over the place as well, because I mean, why not? I think like we talked about, you have so many different pathways of recovery. The 12 step is obviously not the only way that works for people. It doesn't work for a lot of people. We need yeah. more pathways. We need different things. What are you guys doing to push it out?
0: Well, I, you know, I think about what doesn't work in, in treatment and like, you know, that's it, it's debatable, like the percentages, but like in 12 step recovery, it works for like less than 3%. So that's like 97% of the population, like isn't getting anything from mm-hmm. that, or is it's just failing them. And then I looked at the numbers for regular treatment. When you go into a treatment center and like you rent a bed for however long and like go through their, their program, that's like only 30%. And so 70, it's failing 70% of the people. Mm. And so, this idea, like there's this opening for something new. The thing with laughter yoga as, as as a it's not a profession, it's not an industry. It's something people are drawn to. Still pretty fringy now in terms of mindfulness. Like I said, people are able to adopt it to kind of. Fit their own personality style, and so someone that's drawn to work with seniors will take it into senior centers. Um, I have a friend, Robert Rufus, He's been doing it for a while, and his he's a he's a mime. He studied with Marcel Marceau, and he kind of has this performing performance aspect to it, and kind uh, of cool. combines mime with with his his laughter yoga. And then um, Albert uh, Nuremberg who's a, a filmmaker up in Canada, he's looked at kind of laughter in terms of film and has made films about it, and so. You know, my whole thing kind of growing up in Alatine since I was like 11 years old and being surrounded by so much addiction in my family, you know, I immediately wanted to take it into the world of of addiction and and substance abuse and treatment. And so, you know, in terms of what's going on and and how are we getting it out there, I don't think it's happening. I mean, I think it's just people like me under the radar, just kind of following the laughter. And the nice thing about it, you know, I did this year-long experiment for an entire year. And the nice thing about laughter is that there's no nothing that you have to remember in terms of like, oh, I gotta remember to stay present. I gotta remember to breathe. I got all these, like with all the mindfulness, like if you meditate, like mm-hmm. let me count my breaths and like, let me sit, you know, every morning at 6 a.m. and I can't miss, and for my diet, I can only do this many calories. With laughter, the sense of presence is automatic. And so the sense of breath happens every time we like expel mm-hmm. a laugh, we automatically take the in breath. And so really I think that's a plus and a minus to laughter yoga because the plus is it keeps people involved really present, but it keeps people involved so present that they really don't have a lot of goals for it. And they really aren't looking in terms of what's mm. ahead because it keeps us so present in the moment, which yeah. is what we want meditation to do, that we don't care about the past and we don't care about the future. And when you think about true mindfulness, that's magic, man, because that's, that's what meditation is supposed to do. That's yeah. what we want people suffering from addiction to do. Quit, you know, with all the anxiety of what's going to happen, what happened looking behind us, looking forward. It's like, we're just in the present. And when we're in the present, like, I don't know, goals kind of don't work in the present, in a sense.
1: No, I was, I was going to say, I think that's exactly, I mean, you hit it on the head, right? Meditation, sitting down, doing a med- mindfulness, meditative thing, whatever that looks like to you, seems like a chore to us sometimes. Even doing regular yoga. Like, I know damn well my, you know, my legs were cramping up for a week there. It's like I, I can tell I needed to stretch. I know how good it is for me, but it's a chore. Like, I don't want to do it. And I love that. That laughter forces you to be in the present. And that's what we're all longing. I mean, that's where almost all of our suffering comes from is not being in the present. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah. What,
1: a, what a beautiful uh a tool that is to get you into the present.
0: Yeah. In, in the sessions that I do in the treatment centers, they typically will last an hour. And it, it it's very interesting within that hour, there's nothing that you can get better at. It's not like you can practice at home and next week you'll be better <laughs> and you can see some progress. And it really like, it begins to just like meditation, it begins to create new neural pathways in the brain. Because I think just being born a human in our culture, we're so used to like Having linear. this idea, like what's yeah. next and what's yeah, very linear way of thinking, like what do we do, need to do next? And no one can get better with this. It's just like you're here to laugh, and it, it and it can be jarring. Not not only because laughing with strangers it makes us feel really vulnerable. You know that feeling of vulnerable makes us a lot of people want to use because they don't they don't mm-hmm. want that feeling. But there's nothing in it. um There's nothing in it that that to 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 progress with it really. So, yeah. And, and I think with some treatment stuff, you can look at like, okay, I'm making progress here. How was I when I came in compared to where I am now? And like with laughter, there's none of that.
1: Which I think is in essence is beautiful. I think that's, what's amazing about it is you're not oh, cause that's what we, I, I am always, always, it is never good enough. I'm always trying to get better. I'm always trying to set goals. And trying to meet different goals and be better at everything and work on myself and try to get to a certain point where I need to be in life and quotes need and then you talk about laughter yoga and it's like no, you just sit here and laugh. you don't get to stage three and get your black belt <laughs> you know yeah. you, you can't get do this or that you just come in and you're here and you do it i mean i got I got to experience it because I have yet to really i mean I've thought about it a lot, which I love to think about everything, but I have yet to kind of join a session so I'm hoping to get there on April seventh, correct
0: yeah, April seventh. April seventh. So uh, let's, let's yeah, we'll just...
1: go ahead. I just want you to talk about that a little bit and get into that um, your your whole routine here of what's going to happen. I know three people. Was it three people you said that started a nonprofit that are doing these monthly classes?
0: Yeah, Laughter Yoga USA um, is a nonprofit that we have, Laughter Yoga International, which is based in, out of India, but um, the doctor wanted us to start Your own. Uh, a nonprofit here in the United States. And so it's finally got its official you know, nonprofit status. And so the workshop that I'm doing is part of a series of workshops that are going on with Laughter Yoga USA around a lot of different topics. But mine is redefining uh, addiction and recovery um, through Laughter Yoga. And it's April seventh. It's ninety minutes. It's open to everybody, um, whether you're a laughter yoga professional or or an addiction uh, in the w- work in the addiction field, or you're just someone suffering from from addiction or struggling with it. So, I'm going to talk about what it what it's been like for me to kind of work in the treatment centers, uh, kind of at the ground level for the last year and a half. What it was like to transition. Over to Zoom meetings and what that difference is. What it was like to field test uh, some of my work with the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Really, you know, I've gone from you know that year and a half where I was just like, hey, I'm just staying present in this. I'm like just interested to seeing like if I can kind of make a contribution to the field of addiction and substance abuse in terms of like some kind of treatment or a program that may help supplement all these other treatment paths. And I've gone from that to kind of being asked to talk about the topic and then really reflect on, you know, what others may perceive me as like being an expert on, which is, it's a very different place to be in because before it's just me as an artist and me as a professional, just doing this thing that makes me feel really good and kind of exploring it kind of, I call myself, well, another person has called me a wannabe scientist, kind of exploring through trial and observation, like what works and what doesn't, that's where my passion is, Um, to being in this place where I'm saying, this is what I found what works. It can possibly re- be replicated. I'm not sure, but I know that at least what I've been seeing for a year and a half, it really helps people feel better in the moment. Hmm.
1: Yeah. That's, oh man, it's so interesting. So interesting. Oh, laughter. Such a funny thing. I know I've mentioned to you so many times. Um, when I think when we first did our podcast, I think even the last time we talked about when we met to talk about doing this podcast, how, I have just—that feeling after that deep laughter is so—I don't know. You can't even explain it. You just feel light as a feather, and I totally I totally love that concept. I I feel like this is kind of like an icing on the cake thing, if that makes any sense. Like, this should be added to any kind of recovery, any kind of thing in anybody's life. You don't even have to be in the substance use and addiction world. I think adding this to any of your routine, whether it's exercising, is just going to be a beneficial thing. What was uh, your—when you say you were— kind of just experimenting and looking around and that, like, how did you even go about doing that with this?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when I did my first experiment with laughter yoga, the idea was in my former life as a performer on stage, or even as a writer of books, you know, I map out that line and kind of follow mm-hmm. this kind of program and like, think about where I'm going with it. But laughter resists that the more we laugh, the more it kind of pushes our brains to just stay present. And I can remember during that first year long experiment, people would say, what are you going to do next? You're coming up off the end of your year. Are you going to like do this more or rent a space and provide more laughter? And I was like, I really don't know. I'm just staying present today. And I I can't tell you that's a horrible thing to say as a business person, because it's not helping you, but like, that's true. And that's like where I need to be right now. For me going in there, it was just really about providing what, what I would call a typical laughter yoga session and then following the laughter, trial and observation, seeing what works, what doesn't. And then kind of wherever the laughter went, I would go and I would make a few tweaks here and there. And it, it what came out of that, I, I remember hearing a story when I went to grad school in Chicago about, uh, I, I don't know where I was, but they were talking about when they built the Chicago Public Library and they built the library and they opened the doors, but they didn't put any sidewalks around the building because what they wanted to do was they wanted to see where people would naturally cut through the grass and all that. So why put a sidewalk with a, you know, a 90 degree angle when people would cut through it anyway. So they waited to see where the paths were formed and then they made the sidewalks around the paths. and that kind of stuck with me. And so that's what I did when I was in the treatment centers. I wanted to, you know, rather than come in with this rigid form and say, this is what I'm doing and we're going to see how it works. It's really, um, what I would call an education, an emergent curriculum. And so I'm letting it emerge as I'm experiencing this process with these participants, it's a little messy and you don't come across as professional, but I think the result that you get in the end is much better because Mm -hmm. like you're allowing this, this um, really beautiful thing to be created, which is, which I think is, is what I've kind of uh, let emerge now. And so, that took about six months to just follow the laughter, be kind of messy, kind of admit to people, I don't know what really we're going to do today, you know, but we're going to just follow the laughter. Six months later, I'm like, I've got this protocol. This is what we're doing. And from that point on with a few tweaks, that's pretty much what I did from that point on after the, the six month mark. But it, it takes a little bit of vulnerability to, and, and confidence in yourself to just be like, I'm kind of showing up and I don't know what's going to happen for a while, but that's what we're doing.
1: I just had to write down because we need to make a t-shirt that says, follow the laughter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I just wrote it down. That's what we should do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But that's, I think that is a a fun way to to take anything on. And really it's like, I kind of look at, you know, I've been obviously really into strategy, more particular brand strategy and really trying to help companies find their purpose, find their mission and help them create content around it. And part of that is sitting down with people and getting them to just, all right, how do we do this? But my point of bringing that up is it's like a no process process, kind of like that, where you have to, I always look at it like you're in long grass with a machete following a pathway, but sometimes you got to veer off, right? And hack away somewhere else. And I think that's the beauty of improvisation, which is something you have a lot of experience with. That's the beauty of just kind of going in and being real and being authentic. And, what kind of
0: results did you find in the rehabs yeah well i i found that kind of in terms i call it um my data and research and mm-hmm. i put it in quotation marks because <laughs> my family calls it telling stories because i'm a storyteller mm-hmm. and so i call it data and research As a wannabe scientist that's in quotation marks but um i kind of found three really interesting things kind of emerged from it, it was it, and i guess these are three of my points that i'll talk about in, in on april 7th which is one and I can talk about with you these more in depth, but, but one, um, is, uh, happiness, uh, the word happiness doesn't belong anywhere in the mm. conversation around treatment wow. at all. That's um, a whole episode I, right there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and the second one is, an, uh, anonymity is for losers. Um, and the third one is that I feel like our recovery story is really preventing us from, uh, kind of reaching next level sobriety. Ooh. And next level sobriety is getting away with what I call the four Cs, which is like addiction to like caffeine and cigarettes and church basements and candy. But going to that next level where you're like telling a story that doesn't kind of retrip your brain back into the trauma and retrip other brains back into the trauma and what what I've studied the last 15 years as storyteller is like knowing that listener and teller connection it's it, there's science rooted in it. And like, if you're telling this story, that's kind of re-traumatizing me and we're locked in and we're bonding over our failures and, and we do this, you know, they do this and 12 step recovery forever. There's no out. That's it it yes. doesn't allow the, the brain to really kind of rewire itself and to kind of learn how to function in a new way. And so I found when I utilize specific stories around connection that still, had a hero and still were exciting and and pulled people in like stories will, when they were rooted around connection, it began to help the participants kind of rewire how they thought about connection. It's almost like, well, it's due to this thing called mirror neurons. We have these neurons inside ourselves. So when someone smiles, we tend to smile. When they tell a story about connection, we tend to lean in instead of like leaning out or with the recovery story, kind of leaning back and kind of just kind of going back into that Mm. that loop pattern that we have. So storytelling is definitely, uh, I feel like a huge part of, of that, the why the treatment worked and kind of exploring what specific stories were told in there. And the neat thing about it, and this, the, the neat thing about laughter yoga in in terms of how it goes side by side with the 12 step program, but works in a better way is that when you begin laughter yoga, you create what's called a laughter story. And it's based on the tenets of the same as the recovery story. What was it like before you got sober, what got you sober? And what's it like now with laughter yoga, we also tell a laughter story. As you heard me tell a couple of times now, like, what was it like before? Like I got into it, what got me into it? What is it now? And so we kind of create this story, not based on like all this tragic stuff, but like laughter is pretty cool and it's uplifting. And when we tell stories about laughter, we now have this new story to tell, but not only that. And I, I dare not call it fellowship because that's connected to the church. And like, it's thank like, you <laughs> ah, church. So, but there's these laughter yoga clubs, free ones, just like there are 12-step programs, like all around the country that you can just join for free. You can tell your laughter story and laugh with people. And wow, what an alternative is like, you're not stuck in these like dark church basements reliving these like horrific stories and never, allowed, never allowing your brain to be wired. But you can go into these lighter places where just people are laughing. They don't really care what your story is. And that's a huge part of laughter yoga. We don't care how you got there or like what happened. Like you're just there to laugh and we don't go back in and like kind of talk about any of that, which is kind of <laughs> magic. That is amazing.
1: What What exactly – would be a laughter story. Is that just do people like, does somebody tell a story and other people are laughing? Or you know, walk me through that because I'm very curious.
0: Oh, well, you know, like the recovery story, like they have meetings where people just there's they're like they tell their stories, recovery yeah. story. And so it's the, it's the same thing. Everybody in Laughter Yoga has their laughter story. And it's basically what I told you, you know, like, you know, I was Whatever like living this life and you know, I found laughter yoga when I Googled it and now, my life is great because I laugh all the time. So, I thought yeah. maybe it's, it's nothing deep, but like,
1: I thought maybe somebody, as they were just yeah. up there sharing their story, everybody else would just be laughing at them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just messing. That's that's funny. Though. Yeah, that's cool, man. I, I love it. I love the concept. I love the idea of it. How has things changed with you with COVID? I know, obviously, this April 7th uh, session you're doing is all on Zoom. How has that yeah. changed the dynamic of? Um, which I guess April 7th isn't necessarily a laughter session, right? It's you sharing your findings on laughter.
0: Yeah, I'll be discussing my findings with laughter, but also people will get to experience some of what I'm doing too. Okay, so so you are. There'll be like 20 minutes where I'll be leading people in some of the exercises that I found kind of effective.
1: Cool, yeah. So so how has that changed for you over COVID? Because obviously when we last talked, you got delays. We talked about even how our – like I wanted to look into how bands play together online because it's super interesting to me how they're – It's got to be, I don't know, equipment wise or whatever, but obviously for you, you're working with, it's a nonprofit thing. I would probably say you're probably not getting paid for this. If you are, that's amazing. It doesn't matter, but either way, there's not a lot of money in it right now. What are you doing as far as uh, on Zoom and how are you getting it out there and how how have you adapted with
0: everything? Yeah. Well, in the treatment centers I found, like at least in the ones I work with, I don't know if this is across the board, but like women- are, are definitely the minority. And so in a, in a group, when we're doing a live session in a treatment center, it's like eight men to every one woman, and it can be super intimidating. So as like the, the laughter leader in there, I have to be really aware of like, Mm -hmm. you know, what's going on and how we're interacting with one another and kind of those like, uh, gender dynamics in there. Since it's gone online, we don't really have to to deal with that, you know, because there's there's none of that sense of the male-female ratio making anyone feel uncomfortable. So for one, like it doesn't matter who's in the room online on Zoom. For two, typically when we work in treatment centers, we have two rooms. And it's really important, especially when I worked uh, at the Veterans Hospital, that the door remains open and the participants have an out. So whenever they need to like just get up and leave the room because it's too overwhelming, they can just leave and go in another room. We typically have another room set up with yoga mats and another practitioner in there so they can stretch. It's not like they're going to like go outside and smoke a cigarette, but they can go in another room and just reflect if the laughter gets to be too much. It's the room typically should be close enough that they can still hear the laughter because even in being in the presence of laughter, it can be a really healing even if we're not laughing because the contagion begins to travel. And so with Zoom, it's important that participants have a space set up beside their desk or wherever they are. So they don't have to be glued to this, you know, the monitor the whole time. They can do some stretching beside where they're at, or they can just sit there and like look for, look from afar and mm-hmm. not even be participating in that same way. The other thing is that we don't work with huge numbers in the treatment centers. We found the sweet spot to be about eight members in in any group. And when we found, we did it online, it, it's even less. So when we're doing, These laughter yoga sessions online, it works with about five or six. So it's even less, it becomes a lot slower. Whereas in the treatment centers, I do like an hour session online. We're talking about 20 to 30 minutes tops. That's it. And it becomes a lot slower because there's a lot of check in that goes on. If you came to my laughter session, like Mm -hmm. with anybody, it would be there's not really any check in. It goes really fast. We're doing it for a full hour. But when we're doing it online, there's a lot of check in. Like if I see you give a look where it seems like you're kind of suffering from anxiety and you're not laughing, I'm going to check in with you. And so it becomes this really slower process to find the laughter. Yeah. Yeah. And it involves a lot more. Breathing to kind of get through things. That's, so.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. What what have been some of the uh, like? What was one of the like biggest moments throughout your you know last year and a half or so of doing this? That kind of has stuck out to you, whether it was with yourself or just seeing it how it changed and helped somebody else.
0: Yeah. I, I think a couple of things. At the treatment centers at where I worked, uh everyone there was court ordered to attend 15 one hour sessions with me before they graduated. Oh yeah. That's yeah. part of the program. Yeah they were they were supposed to go to, to group sessions in the morning then I was there for one hour and I did this with three different groups there. It was interesting because one group of people lived at a at kind of a halfway house and um they had talked about how other members of the house who didn't come to the laughter sessions would hear them upstairs doing what we call this kind of the laughter yoga chant, which is pooh, pooh, ha ha ha, pooh, pooh, ha ha ha, pooh, <laughs> ha 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 very good, very good. Yay. Well, these um, people that lived at the halfway house, they would they would just break into this chant at random times and it would like infect the whole house, you know, because you can imagine this house is like people are going to work and they're trying to like deal with their parole officers. And it's a it's not a really light place. And like all of a sudden they're injecting this kind of weirdness into it. Mm-hmm. And people are coming up to them going, what is that? And they tell them, well, you know, I I, and this is the thing too. It's like, when I talk about Anonymity and how it kind of prevents us from like reaching long-term sobriety. In the in the in the old world, I can remember my dad passing people from the program when we were out in the street when I was a teenager, and I'd be like, "Hey, that's so and so." he go, "You need to give me a dirty look." Oh, don't don't you know? Don't. I'd be like, "That's so and so from the program," and he'd be like hey, shoot me a dirty look. Like, don't don't say anything. Don't talk about it. You know, there's a the big secret around yep. who's in there, and you have to remain anonymous. And with the with this new story of laughter. You get to say, who was that? And you're like, oh, they're from my laughter club. You can totally like call them out because it's, you know, that's so-and-so. And it doesn't have to be this big shameful secret around how you know this person and who mm-hmm. it is. And I feel like that causes, creates more connection instead of being the shame fest. So that kind of creates this and kind of this new paradigm of how we interact. Luckily, there's these laughter clubs that allows that allow us to do that. If not, we'd still have to keep, keep these shameful secrets. But like, I could see my dad tense up and I can remember passing people in the, um, you know, at a, at, out at the grocery store and they wouldn't look at me, you know, once I got into recovery and like, I'd feel shameful, like suddenly like my stories are like, I should feel guilty for them. And like, you know, mm. we have no connection and they, they're they so ashamed that they can't even look at me, but I've got to maintain this anonymity and like, it's not working. That's probably, you know, you look at all the things that do, do, we question, like why it doesn't work. And that, that can be huge, you know? And, and one more thing that I experienced, you know, you had said like, what do you remember in terms of your successes or from the the treatment centers? is it it definitely this isn't a one size fits all. I've had some resistance in there that kind of I guess flipped me out is I don't know what how other way do you say it? There's real resistance to it from a lot of people that are struggling with addiction and they they want no parts of it and it, it, it no. it's it's gotten really mean on a couple of occasions where um I feel like, they're fighting to their their own desire to, to remain the same. And like I hear I'm presenting like this new pathway and it it's a, it's a, can be a real fight to well, struggle with.
1: Yeah, well, you know, addiction in itself, we hold on to that shit, man. We hold on to yeah. that darkness. It's like I was thinking the other day uh, when I just sit here and stare off into space and my mind takes me wherever it wants to go. And uh, I was thinking the other day that we, we, we hold so much of the shame and then we finally open up and realize all the things we've did in our addiction and it's like oh shit and the only way to keep away from that shame and guilt is to keep digging ourselves deeper but the deeper we deep uh, the deeper we dig ourselves i cannot talk this morning the <laughs> the deeper the deeper we dig ourselves <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> you know the more pain and shame and guilt comes on and the, and how do we stop it once we notice it we got to keep digging and it's just it's yeah. a paradox it's an enigma you're just stuck and it's so hard to break out of that. So I can imagine me. I spent four months, and well, a total of five months in rehab, probably five and a half. And with all the people, I've seen people leave when I was there and come back, right? Yeah. So I, you know, I was in there for a decent amount of time. And people do not want to leave. They, they feel like I, I felt like I deserved it. I didn't deserve any happiness. And if I walked into, yeah. you know, maybe not in rehab because I was very open minded, but in the deepest, darks, uh, darkest places of my addiction, if I walked into a room full of people laughing, I'd be pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck are these guys so happy about? And, you yeah. know, I think that is tough. So, naturally, I, I get that. And some people are just, again, need, people see something cheesy. Oh, this ain't going to help me. You know, I ain't, even, I ain't even trying this. Screw that guy with the beard, dancing, and being all happy and shit. What's he got to so, be so happy about? <laughs> Yeah, so that's you know that's amazing. So that is tough, and I I, I could definitely see some uh, resistance there. Yeah, from, well, from I think
0: I think that relates to entry points too, and like where we are in the recovery process for ourselves, mm-hmm. which is kind of like an un- always an unfinished story. But I can remember when I first got in recovery, like I I couldn't talk. I I didn't talk for for almost seven months. I didn't wow. say anything because I would just break out in tears and when other people would talk about you know you know having family holidays or doing something joyful or like I was just like I I was kind of resentful for him I was like screw you like it's Thanksgiving I have nothing to be thankful for like screw you my family's like so messed up like Mm -hmm. and even I remember what I the first year I spent for the first time in my life spent my first like Thanksgiving Christmas birthday completely alone because and kind of like you know, extricated myself with distance from my family for the first time in my life. And like, I remember driving around on, I think it might've been Thanksgiving, looking for somewhere to eat. Everything was closed. And I was like, I don't want pity. I want to remember this feeling because I, I don't want to be here again. Like, I don't necessarily want to be around my family again and all that addiction, but like, I don't want to be here again. And I'm responsible for getting myself here it was no one but me. And so I got to, you know, it's up to me to, to remember this feeling. So I don't, so I'm not driving around everything's giving it for the rest of my life
1: yeah i think us having we have to stop making excuses i think that's it and i think we it takes kind of the i guess for us in our heads it takes the the blame we're able to hide the blame and not take it on ourselves when we can blame the universe when we can blame our parents when we can blame our friends we can blame whoever and when we take the responsibility wait my actions got me here it it seems yeah. kind of counterproductive, but at least for me anyway, I guess I can only speak from my experience. When I did that, I was like, oh, wait, but that also means I can have the power to get out of here as well. And yeah. like you said, let me remember this so I don't ever come back here. And I yeah. think that was my attitude in jail. That's when my my, my switch flipped and I said, okay, it's, I have the power to get out of this just as much as I had the power to get in it. Yeah. which Which yeah. is absolutely huge. Absolutely huge. So April seventh, we have this uh, this session going on. Anything else? What else are you going to be kind of discussing throughout it? I know you said twenty minutes of maybe doing it, some exercises. You you did your research. Is there anything else you're going to be touching t- uh, based on?
0: Well, there's going to be a good deal for those. You know, I haven't done inter- any er- entertaining since 2015 when my lung collapsed and I kind of left the stage and kind of have gone on to this laughter journey. But um. <laughs> It's, you know, for those fans of mine who have gotten used to hearing me entertain or tell stories, there's going to be a good deal of storytelling, and I'm going to use it in a meta way to show an example of, like, you know, you know, later on in what I discuss, you know, how how did you feel during this part of the story? Because this is what we're talking about in terms of kind of the the science of applied storytelling. Mm-hmm. And, and and with that, like, with the storytelling, I'm using so much of it in the, in the discussion because I was looking for a way to you know, hack oxytocin. So oxytocin is that chemical that we naturally release that helps us feel connected to others. And so that's kind of become like this wannabe oxytocin scientist junkie figuring out how to hack it. <laughs> so I think a good deal of it is going to deal with that and and, awesome. and and how powerful the stories are that we use.
1: Very awesome. Yeah. Storytelling, man. I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of it. I always say that, you know, we've been, we were drawing them on caves before yeah. we could even speak. And it's just, it's amazing how, I mean, Carl Jung flips me out, man. When 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 things connect in my head that Carl, Carl Jung has wrote, it's like, holy shit. And think about how, you know, back when he was around, you know, in the early 1900s. And yeah. the things that he looked into and archetypes and all that stuff. It is trippy to think about how powerful a story can be and, and yeah. just sharing it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so there'll be a good deal of storytelling, a good deal of research in there, and then talk around like, you know, what what kind of I've discovered working with um addiction the last year and a half. Besides that, you know, a lot of a good deal of experiential stuff. So people will get to experience some of mm-hmm. these exercises for themselves. So
1: Yeah, I'm putting it on the calendar, man. I'm okay, gonna cool. I'm gonna try to get there. I wanna actually check right now to make sure I put it in there because I would like to scope it out all this i think this is what the our third or fourth maybe conversation we've had second recorded yeah. one and i've yet to kind of uh oh it's already in there already accepted it cool 6 p.m april 7th eastern time that's eastern time 6 p.m i'm assuming
0: yep eastern time united states cool so we're, it we're... looks like what we'll people from all over the world join us
1: awesome do you uh so you got people already signed up and everyone coming
0: yeah the the um the enrollment is kind of kind of rolling in uh, awesome it, it went live about a week ago they can they can uh register registration is is kind of not required but um it's recommended we have like a limited number of openings play openings available so laughter yoga usa was generous enough to to give us 500 free tickets and so people out there they can just register and and use one of those free tickets and then we're asking you know professionals in the addiction and recovery field that can afford it and also laughter professionals to donate 25 dollars all the money's going to the um laughter yoga usa kitty so they can do more programs like this
1: yeah that was i just literally i had Another therapist in Buffalo reached out to me because she is tired of the same thing, of how expensive trainings are for anything. As yeah. a therapist, if you want to grow your career, you have to do it on your own time. Most most places, you have to spend your own money. So she started, uh, for the price of any donation to any nonprofit, you can come into these trainings that sometimes cost thousands and thousands of dollars. Wow. And you know, it's, it's really awesome. So I was kind of doing the same concept with her. I sat down with her. We did a podcast. I'm finishing editing it. We're going to push it out there and try to get more people, just more awareness around it. And it's yeah. tough because, well, I struggle with it, man, because here I, I, you know, I'm i in my life where I'm struggling to make money and I'm out there trying to like, I got to put food on my table too. But I've always hated the people who, you know, like somebody just for instance, I don't know why he always comes to mind because I can't stand him. And I think he's a, a charlatan, Deepak Chopra. And you know somebody like him who will charge $10,000 for an hour of his time. It's like, So only people who have money and free time are the only people who can better themselves, who can go to these trainings, you know, and mental health therapists, people who work in the addiction world, who are counselors and therapists, they're not making money. It's not like they're they're fucking rolling in the bank. You know, it's like, it's, it's very, for what you have to deal with, whether it's vicarious trauma, uh, what's the other one, empathetic, empathy fatigue. Yeah. I mean, for all the shit you got to deal with, all the, Terrible stories. Like, there's not enough money invested into this stuff. And I think we need to change. And I love that you're doing that. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully you can get some kind of, you know, living off of it. Cause I always think of that too with people who I see people who get walked all over and do shit for free all the time. And it's like, well, you got to take care of yourself too. Yeah. Um, right. But, you know, so it's awesome. I mean, kudos to you, dude. I love having conversations with you. You're an awesome you dude. Too, man. I remember checking out your. Your what was your PBS show again called?
0: Your soul. Yeah, the one? Neon the Neon Man and Me.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was just what a uh, uh, p- that's a piece of art. I loved it. You know, it was very it classic slash form. It was strange, it was yeah. weird, it was cool, and I enjoyed it. I mean, you're a talented dude, so I love keeping these conversations going and hopefully we can get some people to your uh your session there.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it.
1: What would be the correct term for? It's not a session. I mean,
0: uh, the, the webinar, the webinar, the webinar. 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 that's webinar. the word yeah. I'm looking for. Yeah.
1: you think I'd be used to that word in 2021. <laughs> I guess not.
0: <laughs> if it was Deepak Sharp, I'd call it a masterclass.
1: Yes, that's right. <laughs> Laughter, <laughs> Laughter yoga masterclass. That's yeah. great. Slash. All right. How do people, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to, obviously, how do they find out about this link? When I post this episode, I'll yep. make sure that's bright front and center the link for the class but if people just wanted to reach out to you
0: yeah uh laughter yoga richmond that's the website Uh, they can find all the information on the on the master class there the (laughs) webinar and info at laughter yoga richmond is how people can get in touch with me i'd love help spreading the word um not only for me but for what you're doing as well i think you're doing a really positive thing in terms of spreading these stories out there to bring more awareness around the topic of addiction
1: yeah thank you yeah that's my that's my goal my my ultimate dream job ultimate dream job like I want to retire into this job, you yeah. know, hope when I, when I'm doing this, I'm done. Like I've retired an RV travel to kind of mobile podcast studio yeah. and go around the country, finding people like you or anybody else who just needs their story told and filming them and putting it yeah. up online because we need more of it. I think yeah. stories like we just touched on stories can change people's lives. I mean, they, they help the person sharing the story. They help the person hearing in the story in so many different ways. So Kudos to you, sir, and thank you for uh, thinking of me to kind of push this out there. It's cool.
0: You're welcome. Sounds good, man.
1: And I will uh, stay in touch with you and let you know. Hopefully, we can get this out. Um, My goal is to get this done with by the end of next week. Okay, cool. So we can get it out there and
0: push it. As soon as I get to you, like I'm holding off on my contacting. Probably I'll contact two to three hundred treatment centers around the country with your podcast. Be like, here's the information for this, and then this is a podcast you want this morning. This just going to go out together. Like right,
1: yeah so hopefully yeah it, within a week hopefully Wednesday is going to be my goal I'll stay in touch with you on all that and we'll make sure it gets done okay don't
0: kill yourself for it, but like I you know I'm, i I want to promote you as well and yeah as well so at least no can that'd, do, be so. that'd be perfect that'd be perfect
1: yeah I try to my new habit is 20 minutes every day of audio editing yeah so it you know it goes by like that and then by the time I get to like ready to finish up and the final posting of an episode it's like oh all I got to do is a couple things and it's done. So I'm trying to have like a constant flow. I'd like to have a pile of edited podcasts up so I can
0: start just throwing them out there whenever. Yeah. So it'll but be s- done. We'll get it done. Soon you'll have a staff man. You'll have a volunteer and all that kind of stuff. So.
1: Staff. So I just <laughs> Right now, I just want to buy some food and not worry about yeah. my bills.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> then I'll worry about hiring somebody.
0: <laughs> how How long have you been doing this, by the way?
1: Um, The podcast itself has been what I've started with. And it would have been October... No, October. What's the month before October, September, September, 2018. Okay. I think it started.
0: You're, you're kind of, from what I've studied. like I'm fascinated by studying like viral stuff and like why things succeed on YouTube. You're at that point, man, like in the next, I mean, if you keep going the next two years, it's going to become really golden for you. Well, that's
1: what, that's what everything takes. I think that, that thought popped up in my head. I'm trying to be a great listener um, so I try to let those thoughts leave. So I'm not just listening to yeah. answer. Um, but it did pop in my head earlier when we were kind of talking about, um, now I'm having a brain fart. What the hell were we just talking about? Smoking another uh, three one, Three years, bro. five
0: years. Oh, that, uh, uh consistency, successful. man. Yeah.
1: You got to do everything when it comes to content, anything yeah. in life. If you don't do it consistently and then you scratch your head, why isn't this working? It's not working. Yeah. You right. know, it takes many years. If I, I when I first got into video production, looking on YouTube, anybody, there's, there's some exceptions, but almost anybody who has a good following, if you look at their, they've been posting from three to five years, yeah, videos consistently, three to five yeah. years. And that's yeah. what it takes. It, It doesn't happen
0: overnight. Yeah. I mean, I watched one guy, one of my favorite guys on YouTube went from, uh, he's like this relationship coach, just posting videos where he was getting like, you know, You've probably seen it before too, like 13 likes to like millions of likes now. But he went from like charging like $100 to answer an email question for you. It's like $1,000 per question as mm-hmm. email. And he's getting it because like there's just so many people coming to him now.
1: Yeah, well, the, the algorithms at least, at the very least, want to make sure it's worth putting your shit out there and you're doing it consistently. And yeah. But that's what happens. All of a sudden, everybody will show it. Flat, 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 flat. Three, Three to five years later, it yeah. just goes up. Cause then the algorithm pushes your stuff out there and yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll get it out there. I'll be in touch, my friend. Okay, man. As always, thanks for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. See you, man. Later.